This is Shinji Kagawa, and you are listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. Welcome to yet another episode of the Yellow World Pod. It's episode 201 now, and I'm your host, as always, or almost always, <laughs> Stefan Butzko, joined by Matthias Zug. Hello, Matthias. Hello, Stefan. Yes, it was uh, it was good to come out of retirement uh, for the one episode as a host and now <laughs> go back to not having to do a damn thing. Yeah. <laughs> As you wish, but you, you still you still have to talk here. And uh, in case you've missed us, yeah, we basically recorded episode 200 yesterday. And today, since I'm in Philly now and the time zone allows it, we are recording a podcast right or more or less right after the emphatic 3-0 win of uh, Borussia Dortmund. Still some fans outside there on the street celebrating the win. Or I don't know, maybe it's disgruntled Hamburg fan. I don't know. But uh, yeah, Matthias, uh, Dortmund remain top of the table after match day five, haven't uh, been on any other place from the get-go. Five clean sheets, and uh, I was a little bit pessimistic going into this match, but uh, overall, in the end, I would say Dortmund won rather comfortably. Uh, first half didn't look as comfortable as the final score, though. So what's what's your whole take on the game before I give you mine? Um, yeah, I agree with you. The, the first half, Hamburg played very, very well, uh, in the sense of pressing. Everything else, they actually were rather mediocre, in my opinion. They immediately, I think it was a minute or two in, they tried the long ball, you know, uh, between the spaces, so to speak, to, uh, to Bobby Wood, who was offsides. Offsides was kind of a theme for the evening, especially for Andre Hahn. Um, but they pressed really, really well. They pressed really high and effectively the whole team did. And that made Dortmund very, very uncomfortable because uh, Dortmund, of course, liked to play out of the back and so on. So I thought they did that really, really well. And then in the second half. Yeah, I can actually put some numbers to that oh, overall there you go. because, okay. because, uh, Dortmund averaged 83% pass completion rate so far this season, but today in Hamburg, they had 72%. And uh, it's the same with, with Dortmund being forced to play long balls. I think that was just the same because the game was actually scrappy and the ball had a lot of hang time. And Dortmund had 22% of their passes being a long ball. So that means almost every fourth or like every fifth ball was a was a long ball. Dortmund usually have around 10 to 13% on, on average, which means they keep the ball on the ground and yeah. Just to, to put this in a, in a numeric framework here, how will Hamburg manage to press Dortmund in this game and how well, uh, or how uncomfortable they were and forced Dortmund to, uh, yeah, make a lot of long balls that didn't really find a yellow shirt or a black one in this, this instance. But sorry, go ahead. No, I, I agree. And I think Lars Polman, uh, tweeted out after about 10, 15 minutes that Nuri Shahin was not in the match. 
And that's because of this, because Dortmund was basically forced to kick the ball past him. So they couldn't get it to him. He couldn't really do what he likes to do or what he's there to do. Uh, second half, there was a, a spell where both teams kind of, I don't know if they really wanted to play anymore, got a little quiet, things picked up. And then Dortmund at the end, overall, had a pretty comfortable victory. The one thing, though, I, I even tweeted about it during the match that totally threw me was how Hamburg played into Dortmund's hands by oddly trying to play out of the back from goal kicks and goalkeeper distribution against Dortmund, who liked to press extremely high with six attacking players. And, and and then they forced Hamburg into so many misplaced passes, especially in the second half. I saw that a lot. And I was I was a little thrown by that. I I haven't seen Hamburg really do that, and I wouldn't think that that would be the best thing to do against an aggressive, high-pressing uh, Dortmund side. What's maybe interesting about that, especially after Dortmund went up, I actually thought they uh, they went off the gas or at least positioned themselves a little bit deeper as they would usually do. I mean, they, they were still playing with a very high line, but I, I thought they were just a little bit more defensive about their game and actually awarded Hamburg the space in build-up play and, and really only started uh, to to press Hamburg when they uh, yeah were trying to to build up the play but they just awarded them a couple of, of seconds of time to to yeah build up and and then basically press and and not like right away as they usually do and I I think that actually threw Hamburg off that they all of a sudden had the ball in a position where they don't have it that often and <laughs> didn't have, didn't really look like they had too many ideas of what to do with it and on Dortmund subsequently won the ball again of Hamburg making mistakes. So it, it basically was to press Hamburg by giving them the ball and, and force them to have ideas and, and yeah, also you mustn't forget Dortmund were playing, uh, Hamburg were playing Dortmund and, you know, that's a team where you can be a little bit nervous in your build-up play because you don't, because you know you can't make a lot of mistakes and, uh, I think Dortmund profit off that a little bit as well, just like Bayern do and, uh, in this game it showed a little bit and overall Hamburg are maybe just not the best team in the world. I mean, Gotuku Sakai had a terrible game on the right back position. He had the first touch like a, like a trampoline and rightfully was subbed off like right after halftime. So that basically was probably one of the, the bigger problems for, for Hamburg, especially in the first half. Um, Matthias, before we talk a little bit more about overalls and generals and whatnot in, in this game, we, we might actually look at some individual performances. And I, I would start with uh, Andrei Yamolenko. How could I not? Five chances created, one assist. Looked pretty decent, didn't he? Yeah, it's a constant beast mode from him, it seems. You know, obviously the first time he came on, you know, he had a, a I think it was against Freiburg where he had that really horrendous cross <laughs> and everybody was like, oh, Yamulenko, oh, money well spent. That was the only time he's really screwed up. <laughs> you know, since then he's owned pretty much every fullback he's faced uh, bossed it, created a lot of havoc in space, and by that, creating scoring opportunities and room for the likes of Obama Young and Pulisic or Maximilian Philip to run into. So he was 
just for me, just like against Köln, uh, the best player out there. Yeah, what I really liked uh, was a touch in the box where he, I think, just just uh, recollected the ball or, or so, and Gonzalo Castro at some point was also involved in the play, and I think the play broke down. But just beforehand, he was, I think, one against two, basically very close to the to the goal line and and uh somehow turned with the with the ball at his feet and and the defender nearly got it but he just stepped on the ball and basically sucked it back into his own possession and that just just looked awesome because it was just so controlled and uh i don't know it just seemed for for a split second that that time froze around him and uh actually to me, in, in this one little play, highlighted how much control of the ball he has and uh, what he is capable of, and and uh, yeah, that's that's very encouraging for me because I think Dortmund just need a need a player that can do stuff with the ball on the right with the with the way they play that they just sometimes need one to to be the defender and Yamolenko is just a player to do that. You know, I mean, we we saw it. In the way he assisted the goal too with a couple of step overs because uh, Hamburg were trying to block his left foot and he just yeah did stuff with his right foot. So um, yeah, he's maybe not on the level of an Usman Dembele, but but uh, I would say that so far Dortmund still have gained a lot with Yamolenko. That's twenty five million well spent right there. I was going to say something rather controversial and say that by selling Dembele and buying Yarmolenko, we've upgraded the squad. Um, because, and I actually don't think it's that controversial because overall, when Dembele sometimes, given his youth, would do dribbles and runs for the sake of dribbles and runs, it seemed at times. Whereas Yarmolenko, who's a significantly more mature veteran player, does it with purpose and meaning. And then you add to the fact that he actually presses and defends, whereas Dembele was never really interested in it, was definitely not good at it. Uh, so I would actually say we're better with yeah, Yamolenko. I, I, I can see where you're coming from, but you just mustn't forget how damn good Dembele is or, or was now he's injured. What do, what do you make of his injury, by the way? <laughs> yeah, you, you forgot to ask me last time, and I think I uh, wrote something along the lines of karma is a bitch. And, um, you know, I don't – honestly, though, I don't rejoice in any player getting injured. Um, when I played at a way lower level, I got injured, and it sucks. You know, I've blown out my knee. I've injured my back. It, you know, you don't really wish that on, on anybody who's not evil and Debele's not evil. But there is a little aspect of karma coming back to bite him in the ass because if he actually would have trained at Dortmund, odds are he wouldn't have gotten injured the way he did. Yeah, probably, but. I don't know. Let's let's just focus on on Yamolenko doing uh, Yamolenko doing really well here. Jeez, I need to slow down. But uh, <laughs> this this game um, unveiled also that Dortmund still have a lot of work to do when it comes to counterattacking. Don't you think? Uh, especially Mr. Pulisic had another of couple overhead passes there. Uh, don't want to really uh, be too 
critical of him because I think he still had a very good game also on the score sheet, scoring the 3,000th goal of Borussia Dortmund or for Borussia Dortmund in the Bundesliga, which is another great record. But uh, Matthias, what do Dortmund have to do to improve their counter-attacking? Well, first of all, Schmelzer needs to be healthy and Tolian needs to be healthy. <laughs> so we have a different left back and a different right back. Um, Zagadou, I praised him in Köln. He didn't look overly comfortable today. Wasn't helped by Pulisic ahead of him. Like you said, misplaced passes. Uh, there were also a few instances of Castro with a misplaced pass, Socrates with a misplaced pass. That put them under unnecessary pressure. The thank, thankfully, we were facing Andre Hahn, who gets the ball, runs, and shoots. I don't think he's even thought about passing the ball. It's it's a godsend for us that there wasn't Philip Kostic, because I think Kostic would have made us pay. Yeah, let alone Nikolai Müller. Nikolai Müller, yeah, those two players, it would have it would have been different than facing Hahn and then. Um, I don't even know who was running on the left wing right now off the top of my head. It was Holpi half the time, and Holpi is anything but a winger. He's a winger, but he's not a winger. Because <laughs> um, he complained about every call. But anyway, um, so when it comes to against the counterattacks, I think by the upgrading our fullbacks once they're all healthy, I think that'll help a lot. Controlling your passing a little bit more will help a lot. Um, and then, you know, honestly, that's, that's kind of the key right there, you know, making sure that you have fullbacks who could play there. Pishek didn't look great. He didn't look horrible, but it, again, he didn't look great. And Zagadou is not a left back. Now that's true. Although I have to slightly disagree. I actually thought that Zagadou looked very comfortable. Maybe not, not in the final third of the game, but I thought every time, He got the ball, he more or less had a solution up his sleeve uh, because Hamburg, at least I think I identified it, had some uh, good pressing traps set out for him because uh, when he was open and receiving the, the ball, there were oftentimes two Hamburg strikers or attackers running toward him and he didn't really, he didn't really freeze or hesitate or anything. He's just very calm and collected for an 18 year old again have to say that and uh he won 100 of his tackles although not 100 of his aerial duels but on the on the ground he was really tough to pass in this game and i i think that that made a difference and um while we are on individual performances and uh i think yamolenko is an obvious one to highlight but the other one is Ömer toprak Yeah, Ömer Toprak really, really impressed me. He played incredibly well. He was very calm. I thought he was much better on the night than Socrates. Uh, Socrates was wild at times, also with his passing. Toprak, good passing, great positional play, uh, saved our bacon once or twice. And, and just to get back to Zagadou really briefly, my issue with him wasn't his tackling or his playing out of tough situations it was his positioning at times he drifted to for me far too far inside too often so that that right wing was wide open for Han or Diekmeyer to run into and get a cross in and they would get the cross in that was yeah, my bigger true. problem he tucked in far too far too narrowly and I think that has to do with 
he's a center back, so he naturally glides tighter. Um, whereas Pishek was always a little bit wider because he is a fullback. So I, that, that was my main issue with Zagadou when I said he, he didn't look as comfortable for me. His positioning wasn't great. See, but Toprak looked great. Si finally, finally getting some precise analysis out of you. Yeah. Thanks, man. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. No, but, but, uh, Toprak, as you just said, really had a good game. Um, I have to ask, Matthias, is the uh, fact that Dortmund have five clean sheets now also influenced by the fact that Matthias Ginter is named Ömer Toprak now? Is it that <laughs> easy? Well, I don't know about that. I mean, he didn't start the season. He He's playing because Bartra is injured. He's doing really well. But yeah, Toprak is a better defender than Ginter. He's a better center back for sure. Uh, he's calmer, also on the ball. His positioning is much, much better. Um, and so far, less error-prone. So, uh, But I think we already talked about that in either the season preview or the first episode of the season, that you know we kind of, you know, dollar for dollar, euro for euro, swap Toprak and Ginta financially, but we upgraded overall in that position. Also versus yeah, of, Sven Benda. Of course, we, we predicted that, but it's, it's you know, something else if we predict something and actually see it in action. What are you saying? We're not always correct in our predictions. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. If Batra is getting fit again, which I think he will do against Gladbach, who do you drop right now? Because Toprak foremost, I think, is way ahead of Socrates. I would um, start Toprak with uh, Bartra right now on form. And I'm a believer in going with form players. Obviously, there's going to be rotation anyway because we have so many matches. But I believe in going with the player with the hot hand. And you want to keep the hot streak. So, yeah, I would play uh, Bartra and Toprak. Even though they haven't really played together, I think that'll come naturally. I think that, well, they played a little bit together I think, when Socrates was subbed out in the Hatta match. I don't remember. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, they had some synergy, some time together there. I'd, I'd like to see that partnership. Yeah, me too. I mean, last moment predicted that uh, this partnership of Toprak and Batra will prevail. And right now it's hard to argue against it. So. Yeah, let's wrap it up with uh, Dortmund against Hamburg. I think the main takeaway here for Dortmund is that uh, they had a scrappy game where they weren't 100% dominant as uh, in matches before, but uh, nevertheless, it was a comfortable win in the end and they got away with three points. And that's usually, yeah, a feature of a title contender. I don't really want to say Dortmund are poised to win the Bundesliga now. However, uh, it's not looking too bad. Um. 29 match days still to go though and uh you know i have to be the matthias summer of this podcast now and and say but dortmund's schedule so far has been far e easier than bayern's uh bayern already played against schalke and hoffenheim who i see as uh, much better sides than any of the teams dortmund faced so far so i would hold my breath just a little bit Uh, on Dortmund's being title contenders. Um, and I would actually argue we will see on Saturday 6.30 local time kickoff. So the top spiel against Gladbach uh, that uh, things aren't 
too great a Dortmund yet because Gladbach should be the sort of side that can exploit Dortmund's high line with the likes of Raphael and, and Lars Stendel. I think uh, that Gladbach will that Gladbach will find a way to uh, yeah make things a little bit tougher for Dortmund. I think the uh, clean sheet streak will end on Saturday. Matthias, what's your feeling looking ahead to Gladbach who just beat Stuttgart two nothing at home? Well, first of all, I I have to say that I think Dortmund are title contenders, but that doesn't mean that Dortmund are going to win the title. Uh, yeah. But they're but they're in the discussion. I think this season is a season where it, the champion might not be Bayern. I'm not you, saying it's going to be Dortmund, but it might <laughs> not be Bayern. Yeah. Do you think that uh, Peter Bosch maybe not being so experimental as Thomas Tuchel? will make a difference or have a positive impact for Dortmund in a way that they're more consistent with their style of play, their lineup maybe as well, although Bosch obviously rotates as well. But uh, do, you, do you think that this uh, bit more consistency for the players actually helps in the end for Dortmund? Or do you think that's maybe a, a short-term effect a la Dieter Hacking who comes in and makes things a little bit simpler, has success as a team, but eventually that will fade? What do you think? Well, I think you're pretty much taking our WhatsApp conversation and bringing it into the podcast now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but it's it's a valid question. Now, I'm not going to compare Bosch to Hecking because Bosch's system is significantly more complex. Yeah, no, I was than just that trying to make a point. I know. So. To, to simplify over Tuchel, um, what I wrote in our, our WhatsApp conversation that obviously nobody <laughs> else is privy to is that I am, I, hope. <laughs> I am, yeah, well, you know, except NSA. Um, but they don't understand soccer, football, sorry. Um, National dang it. Agency. Dang it. Now they, now they know what we're talking about. No, uh, they, uh, yeah, I'm less nervous under Bosch than under Tuchel because Tuchel always has the, the uh, genius gene, uh, in, in the sense of outthinking himself, going overly complex tinkering too much trying too much and then it essentially in some matches it worked but in far too many matches it really really didn't work i mean his first bundesliga match against bayern probably the best example of an implosion because he was facing pep guardiola and pep guardiola well you know he couldn't out pep pep so to speak <laughs> um so i think that definitely helps Because it's a, it's players who are there still from the club era will find an easier transition because there are incredible amount of similarities between the two. Uh, there's, there's more in common between Bosch and Klopp than Klopp and Tuchel in, in the style because Tuchel is all about ball possession. Um, whereas, uh, for Bosch, it's more about attacking. I think he'd be okay with less possession as long as they're attacking, winning the ball high up the pitch and scoring goals. Uh, whereas Tuchel, it was more about controlling the match at all times. And so I, I feel a little bit more confident in that regards pre-match, going into a match. In a match when things get tough, I don't know. It's hard for me to judge. Uh, we, we haven't really seen it. Yes, Tottenham was a bad result, but really it came down to a couple counterattacks and then Dortmund had to open up and then things looked even worse. So, We'll have to wait and see. I still remember the Europa League final. 
from Ajax against Manchester United when United marked out the key players from Ajax and they couldn't respond. But then again, they were a bunch of 17-year-olds playing against Jose Mourinho's side. So um, now going into the Gladbach match, I have to say Gladbach, Köln, Hertha and even Hamburg are all very similar in a lot of their approaches, but Gladbach are the better quality side. So yeah, they take seventh what, in the table right now. They they take everything that Hertha, Köln, and Hamburg do, but do it better. They're better quality, and you saw that against Leipzig. The Leipzig match was fantastic. Uh, it was one of the most entertaining matches I've seen this season. They took it to Leipzig. They took Leipzig's t style to them because it's also a 4-4-2 system matching a 4-4-2 system so there are not a lot of gaps in there that that are to exploit even though Leipzig had their opportunities more than Gladbach um, they're going to be more difficult and more uncomfortable to face now uh, this is a home tie I believe right for Dortmund yes yeah it happens at the Westfalenstadion Dortmund are looking to uh, stay undefeated for 41 games at home And I think that'll help. I think playing at home will definitely help. Yes, I've been in the Westfalenstadion when Dortmund have lost to Gladbach. Um, but hey, you know, it can happen. But I, it's going to be the toughest test so far because they're better quality overall than everybody else. But like you said, Hecking is a more straightforward, streamlined, tactical manager and I think in that arena Bosch will have the upper hand with a more complex system that can make it difficult for Gladbach defensively yeah but uh, individual skill I think of as I said of Rafael Stindl and, and who they have uh, that that could actually make the difference um, because Gladbach are still a very very good side <clears throat> I mean You know, it's it's not only it's not only those two, of course. I mean, uh, you know, I also rate uh, Hazard and and uh, I like Patrick Herrmann. And I I think although he got a lot of slack at Dortmund, Jonas Hofmann is also a skillful player. And uh, who I really like is uh, their, uh, um, I think, a central midfielder, Dennis Zakaria. Who is he is incredibly good. I yeah, mean, he's, as he had over 90% pass completion so far. And, uh, during the Gladbach Leipzig match, it was interesting watching it. They were actually discussing that when Nabi Keita leaves after this season for <laughs> Liverpool, that Leipzig should buy Zakaria. Yeah. I, I could agree with that. I mean, Zakaria so far has been a re revelation. Of course, he's 20 years old and, you know, it's match day five, but, when you see it and sometimes you just know and uh yeah very interesting match for Dortmund Matthias Ginter returns to the Westfalenstadion so maybe uh he will have a really great game to stick it to his old club and, and show them that uh yeah he he has what it takes and I, I mean Ginter really did well at the end of of his Dortmund career so he could have a good game although I saw him being out of position for a couple of goals at Gladbach conceded this season, so we'll see. But uh, yeah, this will be a very interesting match where I would say if Dortmund come away victorious against Gladbach, we can talk more about 
title being title contenders than we can now. Yeah, I'll I'll agree with that. I mean, I'm I'm looking forward. It's going to be a floodlight floodlight match, so that's that's just going to be great. Uh, Matthias, I'm sadly running out of time now, but uh, I guess we more or less have covered everything. Uh, Mark Batra and Mario Götze, I think, are expected to return against Gladbach. I think the same will uh, account for Jeremy Toyan. So, rotation-wise, who do you see starting against Gladbach? Well, I think uh, you'll have obviously. I don't. I don't know if Bartra will start. Uh, I. I can't judge that right now. It. It may be too soon for that. I wouldn't want to risk him, especially with Real Madrid coming right behind Gladbach. Um, so I would probably expect Tolian on the left, Pisek on the right, uh, Topak, Socrates, obviously Buki and Cole on the wings. I think it'll be Yamulenko and Philip. Again, um, just because he took Yarmolenko off, left Pulisic on. So I think that's the rotation he'll kind of take. Central midfield. I don't know if Weigel will be ready yet nah. for Shaheen. I don't I, think I don't, so. I don't think so. I think no. he'll come in for Shaheen at some point. I think we'll see Weigel. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Götze will start. I, I, I'd like to see Dahoud start. Uh, personally, yeah. Actually, like, we didn't talk about that. That he had another assist. Today. Yeah, and, was and he it? played well. He's getting yeah. more comfortable. Uh, Kagawa, I also thought uh, did quite well. I don't expect to see Kagawa against Gladbach, so that's kind of where I see things go. But then again, for some reason, everybody, every Dortmund coach loves Castro, so he's probably going to play. <laughs> yeah. Overall, one question though, be before I make you predict the Gladbach match. Uh, How do you see Bosch's rotation so far? I mean, it really started only with the Tottenham match, but still. Well, so far, you can't argue with it. Um, overall, results have been good. Yeah, Tottenham didn't look great, that, but Tolian played really, really well. So you, I, I think that that actually worked. Uh, and the, the goals came over uh, Pischek's side, so it wasn't, wasn't really a rotated side where the goals came from. And uh, there were some individual mistakes. So, so far, rotation, good. Yeah, I would concur with that assessment. I think uh, the changes that Bosch is making are, are really well so far. Maybe the one criticism I have is that he may have rested Pulisic and Götze maybe in Freiburg and played them in uh, Wembley. Then it's you know, like just the other way around because... Christian Pulisic looked a little bit shaken after the international break, but uh, yeah, overall, it's just good that he uh, flicks on the rotation machine, seems to have trust in all his attacking players, and so far he's being rewarded, so that's going well. So, but yes, it's prediction time. I'll go first and I'll say Dortmund will have a draw, a 2-2 draw against Gladbach at home. But We all know I'm not good at predictions, so you go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah, at some point, clean sheets are going to stop. Uh, I think this this could be the match where it stops. I think Dortmund are going to are going to win two one. I think there's just going to be that little bit too good for Gladbach. All right, and with that, I think we can knock it on the head, Matthias. Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Matthias Suk. 
very well. You can find me at Stefan Butzko and you can find all of us, the entire show at yellowwallpod on Twitter, Facebook and yellowwallpod.com on the internet where you will also have access to all our distribution channels where you can find the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud and Stitcher. And if you want to contribute financially to this project, you may very well do so on patreon.com slash the yellow wall. That help is very much appreciated. Helps us, uh, yeah, extend our overall sound quality and whatnot. So Matthias, once again, thanks for joining me for this, I guess, quickie, but uh, we forgot to, yeah, preview the Gladbach match and our excitement for episode 200. So there you go. Yeah, fun as always. <laughs> All right, until next week, where we have to preview the uh, first leg against Real Madrid or the first game against Real Madrid, which will be very exciting. So, yeah, tune in for that again next week. Until then, goodbye.